What time is it? Hey everybody and welcome in. It's the 237 podcast back with you. Got every got got a full table, a, a truly full table here today. Um, and a new person to introduce to you. But first we'll talk to uh, Steve Birchall. How you doing, Steve? Hey, what's going on, Travis? And of course we've got Matt Aragon. Uh, good to be here as always. Rob Webster. Hi all. Producer Scott Dean. Hello, hello. And new with us, uh, featuring this episode, featuring Jamie Gibson, <laughs> special appearance. Thanks, everybody. We are happy to have you here. Glad to talk to you. It's nice to meet you. I just met you a minute ago. Steve's known you for a while. Uh, he picked you up out of the uh, Chevy dealership, I believe, here in town. Yeah, he sure did. Yep. So we're going to uh, we're just going to throw you <clears throat> throw you in the mix here and see what happens. Um, got a good episode for you today. We're going to kick it off first with Steve's Corner of the World, see what kind of weird and wacky shit he's been getting up to. Steve's Corner. Steve, what are you looking at this week? We're looking at the Nazca mummies. The Nazca mummies. These are alien mummies that were excavated, well, actually found by a tomb raider uh, back in 2016. Okay. Uh, so we've got we've got we've got tomb raiders. We uh, the, the tomb raiders, as in like grave robbers, like yeah, grave people, robbers. Okay, people looking for historical artifacts and treasures, things that they can sell. Not not Lara Croft, right? Right. But basically, I mean, yeah, minus been, the giant tits and the the dual, uh, yeah, dual pistols, fire, yeah. yeah. <laughs> But other than that, yeah, I mean, you've got people that. I mean, this is. I mean, how long have grave robbers been around? Since as long as graves, since yeah. since the first part, probably since the Egyptian times when they started burying people with artifacts and like their their treasures. I mean, even just putting like coins over their eyes so that they had a toll for the ferry when they get to the other side. Yeah, well, it's back in the Neanderthal days, you know, the first grave and. Everybody's morning walks away, and then old Uncle Bob comes here and digs up Dave for his boots. You know, yep. So, all right, uh, what what did these people find, <laughs> or what did they what did they say they found? Anyways, they found a a few three and a half foot tall little. I'm going to just say gray aliens because everybody seems to know what that is. One of them pregnant with three eggs, and then they found a larger one they call Maria. And uh, all of them have three fingers, three toes, and uh, they've got DNA testing and all that back on them, and uh, they're non-human. So what's why? Why are you calling them gray? Just because they have three fingers and three toes? Is there anything else about their well anatomy that's weird? Everybody out there has seen the movie ET. Sure. And the the heads and the faces look just like the creature in E.T. Yeah. And there was there was no... I mean, they, they did tests on these things, right? They did uh, x-rays and, um, of course, they took samples. 
DNA analysis, that type of stuff. Yeah, they did MRIs and all that, and and, uh, and these things. Now, you know, and Matt found an article this morning. Matt, tell us about the article that you found when you were Googling this. Well, Steve mentioned this morning about it, and uh, I stuck it in Google, and the first one that came up was, uh, or what's the title of the article? Let me pull it right up real quick. It was from The Atlantic. And uh, the title of the article first hit on Google, the racism behind alien mummy hoaxes, <laughs> pre-Columbian bodies, when, once when again was, being used as evidence for extraterrestrial life. When was that written? Uh, 2017, August 1st. Yeah, so that was just after the information started coming out. Yeah, I'm just wondering because everything seems to be racist now. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, uh, apparently Will Smith slapping Chris Rock was somehow, somehow racist. racist. <laughs> uh, there's an article right now that you, you can find it, and the the writer is dead serious. Convinced. Yep. Where so, do these people come from? These which, people which are people? write all these articles. Oh, uh, I, probably, I wasn't, I wasn't sure if you were talking about the the little grays or the, uh, the the you know the racist believers. All right. Well, let's let's get back to the little grays. So what are are the the, the mummies? Because they so first of all, anybody that's listening to this is probably going to have a flashback to a time where they paid five dollars at the circus to walk into a tent and saw something in a jar of liquid and thought to themselves, "How the hell do I know that that's actually organic? Like, how do I know that wasn't made in a three D printer?" And, um, you know, or, or in some weird taxidermy outfit, and then they put it in this liquid and they're trying to tell me that it's a legitimate organic specimen. Um, so how do we know for sure that these things are organic, that they're not just plastic? Well, the first thing is, I mean, they x-rayed them. They did uh, CAT scans and then later on did MRIs on these things. So they know that they're they're living, and then they've done DNA tests. On they them. were living, yeah, yeah. That these these weren't just pieced together based on what they could see. They weren't pieced together. You know, they took the feet off some, you know, lizard somewhere and planted <laughs> them on their right. hands and right. You know, and pieced together a hoax. These things are not a hoax. When they did the DNA testing, they took samples from. All areas of the body, the hands, the arms, the head. So the DNA says this all came from the same being. So the hands do match everything else. Where did, where did they get the DNA out of the hands, did they tell you? Well, they just, you know, whatever scientists do, just pick a little DNA out of the... You know. Took it from bone sample in the hand no no they didn't i don't think they actually dug in it was it was you well, know they had to find something still alive to do a dna sample no no that's no. why they do it from the teeth mostly they, they get most of the time they get dna from teeth because right. it lasts the longest but everything on you's got dna in it and technology's gotten so good that they can get rid of all the you know the deposits of shit and the dirt and and all that separate out that dna well they can tell if something they can tell if something had living dna in it at one time or, or not um now on the small one remember travis it was missing one of the small ones was missing a head so they had the whole neck and they took 
samples from around that neck and inside the neck. More, more importantly and more to the point, they, they're able to date these things. So even if you weren't able to get a full comprehensive DNA analysis, you can at least tell how old are these materials. And that'll tell you a lot. I mean, if somebody went through the trouble of making something fake, they almost certainly wouldn't go through the trouble of finding building blocks that were these these things were dated what seventeen hundred and seventy one years old, give or take thirty, give or the, take thirty years. The tall one Maria was, and I think the other ones were about eight hundred years old. And there's other things too, like um, the way that they're covered, the stuff that they're covered in, which is that that powdery. It's like a white grayish powder. Diamantaceous, diamantaceous earth. Yeah, yeah, that that was that was something that Peruvians used on to mummify corpses. Well, um, and there are human corpses that are covered in that same stuff. Well, it was the cave that it was in that was covered in it. They covered these things. Yeah, but actually, it was. Uh, let me look through my notes here. Um, diamantaceous earth. Cadmium chloride is what they found on below the diametaceous earth. It was cadmium chloride, Mm. and that does not occur naturally in um, in nature. It wasn't until what the mid eighteen hundreds that we were able to produce cadmium chloride, and we use it for preserving things. The, the a, technology to synthesize. It's a synthesized substance. Right, right, right. It's not something that they just picked up somewhere and, and rubbed all over these bodies. This was actually yeah. synthesized, yes. Yep. Which is intriguing. There, there's also, so there's a, there's a classic sort of pose that mummies from this area have. They're all kind of curled up in the fetal position with their knees up to their chest. And kind of hugging their own knees. That's that's a very uh, traditional pose to put a body into before you preserve it and mummify it for that region. And that is similar to how these creatures were. Now, the skulls, there were no suture marks. The skulls are legit. There's uh, and and so first of all, the official Peruvian government. Let's talk about what their take was on these mummies. First of all, they acknowledge these are organic creatures that lived at one time. These are legitimate mummies. These are 1,700 years old. However, they claim that they have been pieced together and altered. And mutilated. And mutilated, mutilated yeah, to, to, yeah, to be yeah. made to look the way that they yeah, look. Correct. They are, they are, they, they are indeed uh, Andean people. Now the from folks that area, but yeah, they're yeah. Now yeah, the, the government wants nothing to do with it. Well, that's the thing. The folks that did this documentary that were talking about it, they're like, "Okay, that's your that's your position on it. I understand. Would you like to examine the bodies further? Would you like to do further testing? Because after all, if you're saying that these fingers, like these, because it wasn't just that they had three fingers and three toes, they were extremely elongated. They were probably more than double the length like of a regular hand. finger. Yeah, well, or the length of like one of the pictures is somebody with their hand laying next to it and the fingers are as long as as the hand, as a hand his, his itself hands, yeah yeah they were freakishly huge. long yeah. and and people back in that era were not very big no. Uh, no. food was more scarce resources were more scarce in general and there wasn't as much knowledge about nutrition and things and people were just naturally smaller so these are extremely long freakishly long fingers even by today's standards 
And the question is, okay, if you're saying that these things were mutilated and these fingers were made to look, so what are you saying? That they took other mummified fingers and sewed them on to the end? If so, fine, but let's do some testing. Prove it, right? Like, okay, analyze you know, from this knuckle to this knuckle and then from that knuckle to that knuckle and then show me that they are two different samples because that's not hard to do, but they won't do it. It's like, show me where, show me how they were sutured together, to, you know, because it, it isn't just, these things look great. I mean, they're, they're really good looking, well-preserved mummies. It's like, let's, you know, and, and people say like, oh, they don't want to, they don't want to destroy the sample. Well, what's the point in having the sample if you're not going to analyze it and learn something from it? Yeah. I mean, none of, that's, that's my whole biggest problem with the whole thing is. Why the stifling of information? Why doesn't everybody on this planet know about these creatures? Well, what did what did Fox News and CBS, MSNBC, what did all the mainstream news outlets, what did they say about it? They didn't say They haven't said anything about it. No, it's never been covered. You no. can't. I defy you to find a segment, a news segment or an article or anything, even if it's just them trashing it. Well, fine. Well, Show me. When the Peruvian you know? government themselves wants, I mean, they, they want absolutely nothing to do with this, which you would think that they'd want everything to do with it because, boy, that would increase tourism to that country. You know what I mean? At the very least, it's a mummy, and mummies are fascinating. Yeah. Are they not? I mean, at yeah, the even very if, even least. Even if it's not uh, extraterrestrial, it could be. Yeah, but mummies are of, mummies sort of, sort of are a dime a dozen of some in that area of the world. Yeah. You know, they are, but these they don't these look are, like these this. These are different, yeah. correct? Even if these are organic and these aren't, if they're not extra twelve, well, and they're, they're something different, well, so they and, hold some sort of, and they're technically not mummies because they still have their in, their organs, their organs. Inside That's them. true. Yeah, yeah, they weren't tr- they weren't mummified in the in the traditional way, and yet they're seventeen hundred years old. Right. So what's going on? I, I mean. And, and like you're saying, okay, mummies in that area are extremely common. Good. Well, you've got plenty of samples to compare it against to definitively prove what you're saying. And yet the mainstream news won't even look into it. They won't even touch it. Well, they probably don't know anything about it because it hasn't gotten that far to them. Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't know if you brought this to my attention. I had never heard of the Nazca mummies. I made it 30 something years without ever even hearing of these things. And they were discovered uh, in well, I guess they they weren't really discovered until 2016, right? S- supposedly there was there were some um, some tomb raiders that were they discovered the Lord of Sepan tomb in like 1987, and there were mummies in there, and all of the 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 Lord of Sepan or Sepan, however you however you pronounce it, all of his like some of his followers and family members were also mummified and like around him. Um, and then these these mummies were found not too far away from that tomb and would have been uh, like a similar era. So that was 1987. Then it took until 2016 for these to be uncovered and discovered. But it, it's it's very telling to me. And, and I guess my main point of all of this is that like we can't prove we can't prove that they're real. But there's a lot of evidence that's to suggest, based on the studies that have been done by independent laboratories, that say that they might be legit. And then, if they're not, prove it. Well, it, it and, shouldn't be hard. And, and multiple laboratories coming up with the same info. Yeah. Yeah. Were all these mem- mummies in the same tomb, like considered sacred? Maybe, like. Uh, 
like yeah, they were all genetic. found in the, yeah they were all found in the same tomb according to the to uh, Julio or whatever his name was the guy that found them but he also says that there's a lot more of them in different tombs or yeah. all of them entombed together no in different tombs okay now as for the as for the sketchy the, the sketchier parts of the story there there was a Russian scientist who has there's some dispute over his actual credentials whether or not he actually it reminded me a lot of Bob Lazar where it was like the the majority of people that are trying to dismiss him are saying he never actually went to school here he never actually worked here there's no record of him at this facility that's the kind of stuff that they're they're throwing at this guy to discredit him and it's it's interesting there's a lot of parallels between him and Bob Lazar so i feel like that's an area that's probably worth looking into a little more well it's a standard tactic if you can if you can't uh, dismiss the science then you go after the people. Yeah, yeah. If you can't, yeah. If you don't like the the narrative, then go after the people who are, or go after the person instead of the information. Right, right. The source. Um, and then the other thing was, so there were most of these mummies were like you were saying, like three and a half feet tall or, or so. There were some. There were also three samples of these really tiny ones, right? Yeah, there were like eight or nine of those. That were just a couple of inches. I saw three in the documentary. They showed they showed two two really like pristinely well um, well preserved ones, and then they had one that was missing a head. Right, but there were I think like eight or nine of those. They just showed a couple of them there. That, that was they all. showed three. Right, but there were actually like eight or nine of them that they had found. They didn't need to show them all, but one of them was pregnant. Yes, um, according to the scan. Now, they when they took DNA from these little tiny ones, they only took samples from the one missing the head. Yeah, that was the only one that they the, refused the allowed to. They refused to desecrate the other two. Um, and but again, that kind of that kind of annoys me. That kind of irks me a little bit. I, well, I like let's just let's cut the thing in half. Right, you can keep half perfectly preserved till the end of time and then let's grab take that other half and let's go nuts let's hit it with everything we got let's run mass spectrometry let's you know the 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 farthest reaches of archaeochemistry everything that we could possibly learn about this thing carbon dating let's analyze each individual piece of it i mean why not because like you said yesterday he can probably get five million bucks for that thing yeah well you know so yeah but but that other one, the one that actually had the eggs, also had this metal thing implanted in the chest. Mm-hmm. And they've never figured they they have no yeah, what, idea what, what type that of is. metal. How you know how was it placed in there? It's placed right along through there with a like holding the sternum together. Yeah, which yeah. is odd. That's yeah, and it's inside. It's beneath the flesh. Yeah, and the skin is reptilian. So, and obviously, you know, if she's got three eggs inside her, you know, so maybe the stories of the reptilians are true. Yeah, Charlie was right, I guess. Huh? Yeah. 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 I think they said the DNA was like 28 or 29% in line with human. And then well, the rest is kind of. It was 23 to 25% on Maria, which was the tall one. Was had anything related to. And human? by tall, you mean like three and a half feet? No, the, or, the one that was folded up. With her legs up and all that, yeah, was like five and a half feet tall. Oh wow! Okay, yeah, the smaller ones, which were like three foot tall, three and a half feet tall, 
their DNA came back as nothing known in our genome. Nothing. It mm. doesn't relate to any plant or animal on this planet. So not even organic. That That's sketchy. It's, that, it's, that could be one of those freak they, show things they, in the circus tent. Well, they know it's organic because it has DNA, but the DNA does not match up to any of the billions of samples that they've got, including the human. Yeah. Sequence is not a match. The the single, there's parts there that are recognizable, but the sequence in itself is not matching anything in Right, and then the tall one, Maria, is has, 20, has a twenty-something 20 percent partial match to a sequence in, right in, within the sequence, and then the rest of it is there's known, no known match, known but not a known match. Right. Yeah. Right. The the single most annoying part of, of the entire documentary to me though was the fact that they would not drill into the the most those two little ones, the most pristine looking little tiny ones. Like, let's drill into those fuckers. Let's get some. You know, why not? What are, what are we waiting for? It's all going to turn to dust if you wait too long. Like, let's get in there. I mean, we used to Damn, we used Travis. to we used to blow up uh, uh, detonate neutrino bombs in the upper atmosphere just yeah, to see just what to happens, see right? what happens. <laughs> Might as well drill where's, and cut into these. Where's things. that initiative? Where did that go? All right, Rob, what you thinking? <laughs> um, I'm taking it all in right at the moment. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm listening to the conversation and I keep thinking to myself, if this is actually as true as what everybody's saying. Why isn't it bigger news than it, than it exactly? Is? That, that's my whole that, point. You know, by by somebody, somebody out there should take this and run with it if it's as true as yeah. what it sounds like. Yeah, it seems like a hot potato. Well, and it's very important too to note one one point that we haven't really made that we probably should have made earlier was that what's interesting is that there there's more than one. If you had one, like anybody, you can find, if you go on your phone right now and Google birth defects, you can find some really unfortunate, oh, tragic yeah. situations that happen with mutations Absolutely. that just, you know, for whatever reason, you know, nature occasionally has a little hiccup and you can get just a genetic anomaly that is human but comes out, you know, in, in any number of ways deformed. But that would be, you, you, so if you found one of these things, you could write that off as that type of situation. But it's the fact that they found multiples of multiple sizes and they all have the similar distinct characteristics with the skull and with the hands and feet, with the three fingers that are extremely elongated. And the reptile skin and the eggs in the belly. It, it gives you a sense that it, it's not, obviously it's not an, an isolated incident that it could be there could have been a you know a, a community of these things at one time that lived together but but they're not all related it doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like the dna doesn't match from the small ones all the way to maria yeah that's what they yeah, yeah. even if it's not an are they you know i don't think they, i don't think they ever said yeah, exactly i don't think they ever mentioned that that's a good question it, it is a good question and i mean but even if there is some some variation there that could be because you do have size differences you've got kind of these small medium and, and large ones that all have a similar look to them um so in well, theory she was dead seven or eight hundred years they could have been these two yeah and so they could have been mixing with humans in theory if there was you know just like um neanderthals and homo sapiens homo sapiens uh inner inner uh bread i think one of them still had an anal probe in his hands <laughs> <laughs> scott yeah any input on this the oh. Crypt Keeper. 
Yeah, I know. This is this is like your forte. <laughs> you know, it, that's it, why it, he's quiet. Yeah. <laughs> Part of it is okay. You got science, and you got mainstream science going. This is dogma. This is what we know. And then you've got these fines, and people are pulling this stuff out. Now, you know, one of the things that gets me is that. Number one, they still don't know the exact place where these were found because the guy never gave that up. Yeah. To this day, he's never taken anybody and went, here's the cave. That's a big red flag right, right. there. Well, no, they uh, did. Yeah, he, he brought well, They like, took them to the cave. Yeah, now, well, it, he took them to a cave, a cave, but they couldn't prove that that's where... But so somebody else pulled all, independently pulled all these and, things out and said, I found these in a cave? Correct. But that's going to the same. That, that's following you know, the same narrative that there's an, most most of the biggest discoveries in the world, archaeological wise, were found by these sort of people. That's that's the thing. Yes. So the Peruvian government got all uppity about the source. About you know this wasn't sanctioned. This wasn't approved. Um, we did not give, we do not recognize the credentials of the person who discovered it. And they said, like, for this reason and this reason, when, when, the, when the findings were presented to the Peruvian government, their response. <laughs> That's different. <laughs> One ringy dingy. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. The new guy. When the new guy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So when when the findings were presented to the Peruvian government, their response was a lot like, do you remember um, you remember the Adam Sandler movie, Billy Madison, where he does the uh, he, he does like the game show type thing or it's like it, it's a it's a school related <laughs> and he gives an answer and the per, the proctor or whatever the, the host was like, what you've just said is the single dumbest thing <laughs> that I've ever heard to at no point in your incoherent ramblings. Did you come close to anything that even resembled a legitimate point? Everyone in this room is dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points and may God have mercy on your soul that was what they said to these people <laughs> like it was a complete dismissal even though they were even though they were mummies that were not willing to look at them were not willing to analyze them any further were not willing to even prove that they're not legitimate because of the way that they were acquired and that was their stance but the thing is like steve was saying how many of the greatest archaeological findings in the course of human history have been discovered by people that were grave robbers, tomb raiders. Or just people that walking across a field and tripped yeah, over Yeah, you it. trip over it and you go, what the hell is this? And right, then right. next thing you know, you start digging it up and you go, this could be something and you call someone in. I mean, Go Begley Tepe. There you go. At the end of the day, 90 plus percent of those instances, the person who found it took the authorities where they found it, showed While they were finding it, not of, took it where it was from, yeah. all of it completely and wholly, you know, and then so said, here it is. Yeah, but do you think this guy could have said, hey, if I bring someone down here, they're just going to yeah. cover this up and not yeah. include it out I mean, they, Yeah. How protective over the, uh, archaeologically is the government of Peru? Are, are they like... 
very the government. Protective. They're like the government of Egypt, extremely right. protective and yes. extremely long. Like if they make it, if there's a discovery in a, of a new any type of new discovery for a tomb in Egypt, the government of Egypt shuts it down, and the government of Egypt investigates it for as long as it takes to to document everything within that tomb within that area samples everything takes pictures of everything translates everything that's on the walls and nothing can be done by the archaeological team until the government of egypt research team leaves and their research seasons are only six months five months of the year not Not even even that and sometimes that the entire season can be taken up just by the government of egypt well and I, i asked travis last night i said travis how much money do you think that this guy, if he boxed one of these little things up and sent it to some Billy Kazillionaire in Russia, you know, he'd probably get hundreds of thousands of dollars for it. And Travis is like, no, probably like any, four or five million dollars. Wouldn't get he, anything now. I Not from anybody in Russia. I don't know. That might be one of the reasons why he doesn't want to. I don't know. A lot of a lot of oligarchs hide their money by investing in art. So I mean, this this wouldn't be that different from a there. lot you of could, a lot of Americans hide can, their investment their in art now. too. We just call them NFTs and other bullshit. Yeah, yeah, we do the same thing. <laughs> yeah, it's like a picture of a ape sells for the price of a Lamborghini, yeah. and we don't yeah. we don't bat an eye. Like exactly. that's that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, but yeah. we're getting off topic. All right. Well, I, I think that'll pretty much cover the Nazca mummies. Probably not the last time we'll ever talk about them. But what? Oh did, no! Did, no. They, did they find any like? Did they find anything else like in the cave that they took them to, where no, they were no. supposedly discovered? Was there anything? There was nothing. No, no old, nothing the old, on the walls. The old, nothing. Nothing. Nothing that gave any indication. They were just were, dropped there. They and, were. They were completely covered in this diamantacea earth. It's just so like a we, white powder. There's white powder. There's no life on these mountains. Absolutely no living. So they they weren't wrapped in anything? I don't think so. I think they were just laid in there because if you look at these mummies, they're covered in this white powder. These and the other human and, ones that they and found the somewhere near. And the white powder came it. from the cave they were in. They weren't covered in the white powder and then put in the cave. They're covered in the powder because they've been in that cave for... You know, how seven, close? How close was the uh, years. the one that you were talking about? The before. Lord of the uh, Lord, Sipan, yeah, Sip, that had Sipan. his followers around. That that was close to this location. Yeah, I want to say correct? it was like within fifty miles. Okay, of that okay. tomb. Okay, you guys want to take a little break? Yeah, we're going to take a little break. That's going to do it for segment one. And then when we come back, I'm going to introduce um, the next topic that we're going to be talking about, probably for the next four or five episodes that kind of revolve around this book, The Immortality Key by Brian Marescu. And uh, yeah, we'll be right back. Are you fucking Einstein? Part two. Part two. So like I said, we're, we're, we're going to be getting into um, a discussion that kind of revolves around, we've, we've kind of had the umbrella category that covered the last four or five episodes that we've done that have been on conspiracy theories. We've pretty, we're pretty much moving off of not really though. I mean, do we ever really move off of conspiracy theories? Doesn't that just, that's going to find it. That's going to seep its way into everything that we talk about. Probably. Well, it's all a conspiracy. Everything we've talked about. Yeah. Well, this, this one definitely, this one definitely brings conspiracies, but we're going to get more into the, um, the discussion of psychedelics, 
the war on drugs and we're also going to be delving into uh, the waters of religion so if you're the type of person that gets uncomfortable when people start talking about your religion of choice it's considered this uh fair warning your your sacred cows are not safe here we're probably going to step on your toes a little bit and uh hopefully you will be just willing to listen and do your own research if you think that something we say sounds like bullshit then by all means look into it yourself but just keep an open mind we're 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 an open-minded podcast and we're not really against or for anything other than just trying to figure out what's real and what's not the truth that that that's what we're after so this book immortality key written by brian marascu he was a uh, he studied classical languages as an undergrad he did uh sanskrit which is like ancient greece ancient greek and also um uh, latin and he started, it, this all kind of kicked off because he started hearing about psilocybin studies coming out of Johns Hopkins at NYU. This was around uh, 2016 when those studies first kicked off. Um, and he was hearing the things that people were saying, the way they were describing these experiences with psychedelics. And he couldn't help but note the parallels between what the subjects of these studies were saying and the descriptions that came out of uh, Ulysses in ancient Greece, which is his forte. He, uh, he started thinking, you know, maybe these folks, maybe the people in ancient Greece, maybe they were tripping because these are the folks that gave you the modern arts, sciences, philosophy, architecture, and even democracy and they all existed at a time before before organized religion was i mean the, the, there was no christianity or um it, monotheism hadn't really taken hold in, in terms of like having one god and you know religious sects this this all came out of a place before any of this stuff was was a thing and they would describe going to Ulysses was supposed to be, there was like a pilgrimage. You go to this place, you drink a potion. This all came from Plato, by the way, you drink a potion and then you visit with a goddess and you have visions. And then afterwards you have no fear of death. This is supposedly what happened in Ulysses. And this is what all the great philosophers, Socrates and all these folks uh, Aristotle, all these people did. And afterwards they became enlightened. They had no fear of death and they started working on all of these things like that. I just listed off arts and architecture and democracy and science and mathematics and um, everything else that we hold in high esteem in like our modern culture. I think our whole podcast got started that way too. Fair. The potion. Fair to say. Yeah. <laughs> The potion. So yeah, the, these guys. Uh, so he he start he starts thinking like well, maybe that maybe there's some you know these visions and things that people were talking about. Maybe they were you know t drinking psychedelics. So he starts he starts you know going down this rabbit hole and trying to find out could there be some link between psychedelics and ancient Greece. 
and he immediately um, starts looking into uh, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of it revolves around wine. And the, the thing about wine now is that there, there was no distillation of uh, liquor that that technology didn't exist until like the 1800s, I think. So the alcohol, if the Greeks didn't even have a word for alcohol, it wasn't thought of as an intoxicant. Um, there was you could definitely ferment. You definitely had beer. Um, and you definitely had a form of wine that was made from fruit, but it was a very low alcohol content, and it wouldn't really get you. It wouldn't really get you inebriated or, or drunk in any way, um, just with just the alcohol. So they would spike wine and beer with herbs to make it stronger. And the ancient Greeks, when they talk about wine and beer, they talk about something that if you drink too many cups of it, it'll literally kill you. Well, there, what was there? The word the pharmacon, pharmacon was, yeah. was the word that you know it was for wine, especially in the ritualistic settings. There was the word for wine, yeah. And it, the, the word that they used for that was pharmacon, which was a drug. Word for yeah, it was the word for drug. It was a drug. It wasn't a, you know it wasn't a, the word for table wine that they used. Right, it was they, a different verbiage for wine. They had a yeah, they had a word for that too, just like regular yeah, table, table wine that you'd have with table dinner wine. But the, these these use of wine was different. Which is literally where we get pharmacy from. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, that's where that's yeah, it's the in, entomology of the language, exactly. Well yeah, a lot of what we know about um drugs and herbs and things like that, they they learned from the ancient Greeks who you know, did the, we used to have a lot of knowledge about what you could use, like homeopathic remedies before everything was kind of controlled by the pharmaceutical companies. There was a lot more, you know, the the original medicine medicine people and well first of all women were the initial um women didn't just have the role in in that society of taking care of the household and feeding everyone they were also the doctors and the chemists at the time they had the knowledge of what all these herbs and, and things did and it was passed down through the females in the family the women would teach the daughters the men didn't know shit about how to mix these concoctions and make these potions. Um, and it wasn't until the Catholics got involved that uh, men started taking over that role of, of the sciences and, and the chemistry and mixing, you know, different like remedies and became the doctors. And then women were sort of, you know, subjugated. downgraded. Yes. Yeah, subjugated basically. Um, it, it, well, the, the ancient Greeks were way ahead of us in terms of like equality and, and, you know, that well, might cut out there for a second. Go ahead, Rob. Uh, wasn't the Jewish religion really the first ones to, to subjugate the fem- the females? They were definitely the first monotheists. They were well, definitely the well, first. You, you talked about the Catholics being the first to taking over the men taking over. I think that the Jews were actually probably the first ones of the men taking over. Um, not in terms of shifting the culture in, in ancient Greece. Now, I don't know, um, they, you know, what, as far as their Catholics came after the Jewish people. Yes. Well, okay. So the, well, the Romans, the Romans didn't have an official religion or if they did, it wasn't, it wasn't Christianity. They were Hellenistic. Hellenistic. They were multi. You know, they were there was the god of multi, multiple entities and deities for multiple things. That that yeah. was that was the Greek religious 
There was yeah, it was a multi deity, multi entity. Yeah. They were Hellenistic people. So now Christianity existed at this time, but it was more of like a cult. Yeah, they were it, it they were a, a cult, just a like, fertility yeah, exactly. cult of sorts. Um, yeah. um, they were kind of uh, yeah. So it wasn't until it wasn't until the the Romans adopted Christianity as their main faith, and then they got into Greece. And it was like, okay, how do we bring the Greeks on board with Christianity? And then they started fusing parts of the the pagan religion that the Greeks believed into with Christianity. And it sort of morphed into this new religion. And one of the main, they, they, they took a lot from that pagan religion. But one thing they did not adopt was the role of women in the religion. So that that's what I was speaking to. Um, not to say that the Catholics are inherent. The Catholics are inherently against women, but it may also be the case that so are the Muslims and so are the Jews. I mean, we there's there's a lot of um, anti. But the point is the the Greeks were much much farther along in terms of equality for men and women. They had a lot more of a balanced viewpoint on it. As far as men and women go, I mean, it wasn't the Greeks that. That held women in higher in a higher regard. If you go to most of the societies that were not big religion, uh, Judaism, Islam, or any any of the others, women in most societies pre Christianity held women at a at an equal or higher level than men because of the fact that they were the ones that healed they they gave birth they were the healers they were the the cooks they did they kept the family together they kept the groups together more than men men were the hunters the gatherers the builders and the women were kept everything working yeah so in almost all societies women were held at a very higher level than men i think in a lot of the the american indians uh culture the women were the only ones who could hold property yeah i you mean see it, it goes all the way back the and pre, to, yeah but hmm. pre-christianity is as soon as christianity took over in the western world women got put into a subclass other than being homemakers and having kids yeah that was it slaves got the right to vote or former slaves they were no longer slaves but former slaves got the right to vote before women did i sure did yeah. So, and you see it in the animal kingdom too. There's a lot of species that uh, the female in the species is a very large creature, and the males are very small, and they're kind of a dime a dozen, and they'll just mate with as as many males as they possibly can because the the point is to grow the species. But you, when you see a species where the males and the females look, it's extremely different. It's usually the case that the females are very, very large, and the men are the or the the males are are very, very small, and they'll sort of just work for because she's the one that has to actually grow the the you know the offspring in inside of her, which is you know obviously a very taxing um, process. But so the Catholics sort of took the perspective of they came out and were saying things like um, women because they have extreme desires uh sexually they can't control themselves because of their hormones and because of their um you know having children they're extremely emotional and irrational and they can't really be trusted to um 
to be in charge of our religion and our faith and things. So they, what they should be doing is, you know, more of a, uh, more of a subjugated role. They, they are, they are inferior to men basically is, is, is the take on it. And that's why only, you know, priests can only be men, bishops and et cetera. The, the Catholics don't really have a large role for women in their religion outside of the, the, um, a special well they they have this special this special affinity for the virgin mary like virgin is something that is that that is the only way that a woman can be pure if she's a virgin kind of thing another interesting so, thing but that, that's that speaking my girlfriend and i were speaking about this earlier and she was talking about the entomology and the originality between you know of virginity mm-hmm. and uh the origin you know the originality of virginity had nothing to do with sexuality it had to do with uh a, a free woman an unmarried free woman was a virgin yeah the it's word not a not the- a not a woman that has not had sex not a, it is a un it is a unmarried unwed free woman was what a virgin was yeah like in latin what a virgin was was just it just meant young woman that's all it yeah, meant free, it didn't have nothing to do with whether or not she'd had sex yeah. before that wasn't the yeah. point you know so there i am at at 16 years old talking to my girlfriend in the hot tub and trying to get her to have sex. And she's like, well, we can do anal because I want to keep my virginity. <laughs> it's like, uh, thanks Jesus. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's, that's where we got from this, from all this nonsense. I would have been virginity. like, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's a real thing. That's a real thing. Like it's, it's, they it's, call it the loophole. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Where were we? Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so it, 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 you have this. You have this weird. There's this transition that takes place with the ancient Greeks, where they go from being um, worshiping this this pagan religion, and then they shift over to Christianity. And there's it, it seems to happen almost like if you if you read the history books um, or like the classical narrative, it's it makes it seem like people went to bed one night as pagans and then woke up the next night as Christians. Like it happened instantaneously. Wasn't it Constantine of the Roman Empire that pretty much said everybody's a Christian now? Constantine made Christianity not illegal. I mean, he pretty much, prior to that, he pretty was, much told everybody, "You're all Christian." He you're made, in the Roman he, Empire. You're I all Christian. He made it the state religion. Yeah, I thought Mar- Marcus Aurelius is the one that made Christianity non-prosecutable. Okay, he made it. Okay, so Marcus Aurelius, who is a brilliant figure, yeah, that, um, yeah he was the one that made it not a persecutable crime. Uh, Constantine made it a, you know, made it the religion. He well, made he, it the official religion. He made yeah. it so okay. that yeah. everybody had to be a Christian. Yeah. He made it the, the religion. Were, yeah. yeah, if you were in the Roman Empire, yeah. you had to be a Christian. Yeah. yeah. So at a certain point, there there was a. But the point is, there was a span where pagans and Christians were still kind of practicing independently, and there was a, there was a concentrated effort to bring pagans over to Christianity by blending the two religions. So <laughs> with, they w- with a club. What's that? With a club? With a club. Well, no, not some exactly. Of, it was some actually of them to start with that weren't yeah. that weren't like right. It was very yeah. no. It was very peaceful in the beginning. They were actually very open to the pagan religions, and they they really basically what they did was whatever that that was so deeply ingrained in the culture that they felt like they could not get rid of it. They just adopted it. They just took it. 
and made it a part of Christianity. And then everything that they felt like they could ax off and, and get rid of, they did. And it wasn't until way later when they got into the crusades and the witch hunts, that's when the shift, that's when it got violent. That's when they put the hammer down where they were like, look, we've got the majority, we've got the control, we've got the, we've got the standing army, we've got the, the big buildings, the shrines that are all built, and we've got enough people on board now. No more of this pagan shit. All these women who are mixing potions and helping people have visions and visit with God, these are witches. And we're going to hunt them down and we're going to kill not just them, but also all of the all of the female, like all of her daughters and sisters and such, because those are also witches. They possess this knowledge of how to mix these potions and spike these wines. And they got to go because our sacrament is a placebo. It's table wine. We're telling people when they drink it that they're going to have life everlasting and you just have to take my word for it because you're not actually going to have an experience. Whereas when they drink these women's wines, their potions, they trip balls and they actually meet God face to face and have inner interactions and see things and have visions and have realizations. And they, they effectively, the way Plato put it is you die before you die. And afterwards, you no longer fear death. That's how he described it. If you, if you die while you live, you're no longer afraid to die when you die. Yeah. Any, and anyone that's taken psychedelics and experienced um, you know, ego death and things like that, that's, that's more or less exactly how you end up describing it. That's your takeaway from it. People, And that's what people in these psilocybin studies that were taken, a lot of them, the subjects of them, were people that had terminal illnesses, uh, cancer and such. So this is Johns Hopkins University and New York University running these studies on people that have terminal illnesses and they're giving them psilocybin and you've got atheists, non-religious people saying, you know what, there is something out there. I, I do believe in a higher power now and I, do no, I no longer fear death. I, I don't necessarily subscribe to any of the traditional religions, but I'm, I'm more, I'm, there, there is more going on here than I ever thought possible after having these experiences. Well, you've you got to think of it. One way to think of it is when you go and you look at the Dionysus tradition, of going in and taking the wine and and having the experience when you leave that you leave that with this understanding that there's more to life and there and there, there's something other than and you don't need religion to give you that because it's already it's become a part of who you are so when you have a, a major based religion and people are going out and they're having these experiences and realizing, you know what, I'm part of everything. I don't need some guy up here telling me that, uh, well, to get to heaven, you need to do this and this and this and proclaim this and this and this and, and do all of these rites. Uh, no, I don't. I just touched God. Yeah, I know he's there. I don't have to do all of this. Well, that was the problem. Yeah, they, they were pulling people away. It's like, if I don't need to come to your church to get the sacrament, to drink the holy sacrament, the wine, basically, and have communion and have the Bible interpreted for me. Because here's another thing. Back in this time, most people could not read or write. Most uh, uh, people that, or if they did, they didn't speak the right language to be able to read the holy text. Uh, William Tyndall 
was a historical figure. He was the first person to ever translate the Bible from Latin to English and there, thereby making the, the Bible accessible to a massive, like a larger audience. More people were able to actually read it. So before then, you would have to go to church because the priest was a person who spoke both Latin and English, and he could translate the Bible for you to tell you what it said, what the Holy Text said. So most of you are probably wondering, why haven't I heard of this William Tyndall guy? Whatever happened to him? Well, the Catholics burn him at the stake. They killed him for that, for translating the Good Bible Catholics. from Latin to English. Yeah, they, they did not like that for, for obvious reasons, the same reasons that Scott's talking about right now. Nice people. Yeah. So there was also, uh, Scott, you also mentioned a very important figure that we haven't talked about yet. And Jamie, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Okay. Okay. Uh, so we have, we have an ancient holy figure. And I want you to try to figure out who I'm talking about. All right. He was born in the Middle East, according to legend, to a virgin mother. He is said to be the son of God. He can perform miracles such as turning water into wine. And the wine he gives you is regarded as a holy sacrament. It's literally his own blood. And if you drink of him, you will have eternal life. He is often portrayed in purple garments and a thorn crown. Who am I describing? Well, really, I think you're describing... Jesus, uh, Muhammad, maybe Buddha. I'm, de- I'm describing. I'm describing what most people hear when when they hear that they're going to think of Jesus. I, right. That's a very very good description of who Jesus was according to the Bible. Uh, the problem is that is also a perfect description of Dionysus, the Greek god of wine and pleasure. Oh, really? And yes, that ah. is according to their legend, uh, to Greek legend. That is that is a perfect summary of who Dionysus was, the god of wine and ecstasy. So basically the Christians had this legend of this person named Jesus, but they didn't really have a ton of information about him. And then when it came to John writing the, how many, how many of the new Testament books did he write? Oh, well, like Paul, Paul, oh, Paul, Paul. Yeah. Paul wrote 14 of the 27 books of the new Testament. Okay. And he was talking to mostly Greek speakers who were pagans and All trying the, to bring yeah. them over to Christianity. All of the epistles are letters from Paul to, to the Greeks. Corinthians. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that is, that is what they did. They took, they took Jesus and they took Dionysus and they just basically blended them into one figure. And in doing so, they were able to bring a massive number of pagans over to Christianity. But again, women were still at the head of this thing and they were supportive of them in the beginning. And they had no problem with them mix, mixing their potions because they mostly at that time were doing it for... This was after the time of Ulysses where the like the famous philosophers went to trip balls and then afterwards had these visions and met the goddess and all that. This was way after that. So at this point, the potions had been relegated more towards funeral services. When they would have a funeral, they would bring everybody in and then the, the women would mix these potions and they would drink it and they would actually commune with the dead at the funeral. And, but what they were doing was tripping on psychedelics. So now the question becomes, Albert Hoffman is the guy who synthesized LSD. And the question is, how that didn't happen until, Steve, do you know about what year that was? 1938, I think, Scott. 
Yeah, 38, 39. Like, yeah. yeah. Okay. So not, not that recent, long, long before any of this, any of this stuff happened. So how, how did they, what psychedelics did they have? Did they have like psilocybin mushrooms, for instance? Uh, the, the wine supposedly was, was, you got the Elysian fields and the wheat and barley that grew in those fields was contaminated with ergot. Ergot, right. Mm-hmm. Which once it's once they make the wine because it's contaminated with ergot, ergot is a is a psychedelic, so the wine becomes a psychedelic potion. Yeah, so those fields, the wine that was made that was used was only made from those fields. Well, no er, place else. So, so there's real strong evidence that. Every bit of wine that was ever used during those ceremonies came from those fields and was specifically grown because it was contaminated with ergot. So they found they found a um, a vial of at like a container of actual sac like actual wine that was spiked in uh, Pompeii. Just out, just outside, yeah. The, far, the one that the not far, far from where Ulysses was. Yeah, the farm, Ulysses. You're talking about the one that the farmhouse that, mm-hmm. that had like seventy jars in the yep. in the farmhouse. Yes, yeah. this was like a wine cellar of yeah. sorts. But again, they didn't have they didn't have high alcohol content wine. They were taking this wine and they were spiking it with things. They found one that was spiked with everything from it had cannabis, it had opium, it had they were putting all kinds of like hemlock and yeah. nightshade. Um, uh, yeah. uh, what was it? Mandrake. Mm-hmm. Sounds oh, like sounds yeah. like they were a little bored. <laughs> yeah, they were. I mean, they had, yeah, there were seventy levels. seventy <laughs> jars, seventy jars are full of different different mixes and different varieties and batches of mixes of this wine. They didn't yeah. have TikTok. They were bored. <laughs> you know, they didn't have the internet. Let's they try didn't this have, one. They didn't have an Oculus Two virtual yeah. reality yeah, device right. from Facebook. They <laughs> well, they had also, to, didn't they? Uh, and Scott, you may know this. Uh, they dug up a mummy here just a few years ago, and there was a little like leather pouch, and they found. And the, I want to say this was in Egypt, mm-hmm. and there were remnants of uh, psilocybin mushrooms in there. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so um, as for, but getting back to the ergot, uh, Albert Hoffman, who is the guy who synthesized LSD, it became a question of can you, because if you just take the ergot that grows on like rye bread naturally, which is extremely common, if you were to just eat that, it's actually poisonous. You do have to do something to the ergot. You can't just eat the yeah. ergot. So the question became, is there a way to synthesize a psychedelic out of straight from ergot? And Albert Hoffman actually proved that there was. He found ergonavine which is an alkaloid of ergot. And according to Hoffman, it's five to 10 times more potent than psilocybin. And we know about this because he wrote it about it in a letter to one of his co-authors of Road to Eleusis, which is the book that they wrote kind of, uh, it, it really, it really took apart the whole like pagan to Christianity continuity hypothesis. They're the ones that really brought this to life. And then the third author was uh, Ruck, I yeah, believe Carl it was. Ruck. Carl Ruck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and apparently and that he, was seventy eight. They wrote, but that. Hoffman wasn't looking to make it psychedelic. Not when he did that, LSD. That, right, it was an accident. Right, it actually sat on the shelf for like five years, yeah, and then long, he decided long, to long pull time. it down and reexamine it, and got some on his skin and started tripping. Yeah, yeah, it was a bike ride home. All of a yeah. sudden, you know, yeah. the world started melting around him, and yeah. he knew he, he was onto something. 
he was on to something weird. Uh, I mean, at, at the end of the day, the book is fascinating, and everybody should read this book just for the history. The history that, that's in this book and the way he describes the history, it, it will change your mind on a lot of things on how things, how we ended up where we are today. He lays out a compelling case that psychedelics and drugs in general have been a massive part of human evolution. Yeah, but going back way before Ulysses and Dionysus, you know, you look at every single indigenous species on this planet, every single one of them has shamans, and their shamans were using some psychedelic. Yeah, it's shamanistic. Whether it be marijuana or mushrooms or ergot or nightshade, Mm -hmm. you name it. Every single... Opium, yeah. Mm -hmm. You you go go to the rainforest, and they're doing DMT and ayahuasca down there. And how to explain to me how you... These people figured out how to do Hiawasa and do long-term trips on it when it's made from two separate plants. And, you know, one you can do, you can get the DMT out of it, and you can snort it, you can eat it, you can smoke it, but it only lasts a very short period well, of time. Well, you, you can't eat it. That's why they they brought in the other portion, which well, allows it you to digest it. It acts as a buffer, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it yeah. actually... The, the you know then they find another plant that yeah. has a chemical that kills off part of the enzymes in your stomach so that you can eat yeah. this and the enzyme doesn't break it down before it hits your bloodstream. Yeah. So it lasts longer so and you, you get more take out of it. Three and four hour trips off of it. Well, how do you put those two together? Well, that's why it's illegal in the United States because they don't want people uh, having these experiences and realizing that. Uh, we're all one. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, one. I mean, think at the same time, we, you know, we, we, you know, like Travis said, war on drugs, and you're talking now. They don't want people to know about it and take it. I mean, let's be real, though. At the same time of the of, of the illusion mysteries, if if you were caught uh, performing or drinking the wine, this, you know, the ritualistic and ceremonial wine, and performing it outside of illusion and outside of that ceremony, uh, it was punishable by, by death. death. Death killed you. Oh yeah. Boy. They killed you. Socrates, Socrates' apprentice was run out of Rome and you know, banned for the rest of his life and on the run because they were trying to kill him because he drank the wine outside of the ritualistic ceremony. Even though he was an initiated member, he was practicing it outside of that ritual. So it was controlled. Yeah, it was con- very controlled then because it's, I mean, to them it was something spiritual. It's not something to just fuck around with and take because you want to. You, you, you should do it with some intent yeah. and some purpose and some meaning and with something behind it. That took me years to figure yeah. that out. Yeah. Well, you, I mean, you have to think of the other, the flip side of that is that, that the potion that they were making was pro- probably took a while to oh, get yeah. right. Oh, yeah. Right? And there was and, a and, lot of missteps. People was, died. Oh, yeah. It it's was, documented. And it like, was very guarded. Yeah. There was like so, 40 yeah. people that died in one instance yeah. that's that's on, like a on, part on, of Greek lore mm-hmm. where they just, they all had, like, there were a couple guys that held on for three days or so, but a lot of them just died right away well, because like they we, got they got the brew wrong. Yeah. Once like, well, we're well, we, you know, tasting. Yeah. But when you look, when you look at Rob, try this. And then you, all of a sudden, you've got everybody making this stuff outside of outside of that setting mm-hmm. how many how many people would have died oh yeah because they mixed mm-hmm. it wrong so they you know there was a real good reason why they went you know what yeah. you can't do this yeah mm-hmm. because they didn't want a bunch of people mixing up the wrong crap 
and ending up with a lot of people dead, and then they all go, well, you know. Because then they would get shut down as a positive. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, drag up the kid with a club foot and have him taste this. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of, one of uh, Paul's letter to, uh, letters to the Corinthians in the Bible, he talks about, uh, he, he's berating the Corinthians for drinking the wrong, sac- the wrong sacrament. And yeah. he's saying, this is why you're weak. This is why you're dying. Mm-hmm. Although this is why you're sleep, this is why you're weak, Mabel, and you fall asleep. And you fall yeah. asleep. That's what the English translation and said. The King James version is yes. But when you look back at the Latin of it, the word that he uses for fall asleep is the same word they use for Lazarus when he dies and comes back to life. Yes. So if the miracle that Jesus performed was bringing back Lazarus from a nap, that's not a very good miracle. <laughs> so if you believe that that word is Latin for death, then what Paul was actually saying to the Corinthians is. This is why that sacrament you're drinking is literally killing you. Because you're mixing it wrong. Yeah, because you're mixing it wrong. Um, so, the, yeah, the church kind of took over took over the the business of having a holy sacrament, and they made it they made it a placebo. They took all the good stuff out of it, and then they went so far as to call all the people that were mi- mixing the old what do they call it a Eucharist the Eucharist yeah the, the old style Eucharist. They called them witches and launched a uh, a campaign to kill them all and bury this so that no one would ever know about that the fact that the religion was formed on doing drugs psychedelic specifically i like it yeah and 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 like you were saying scott this stuff goes back to shamans and villagers and as far back as you want to take it there's there's also the stoned ape theory which is the way we went from primitive a primitive species to a more organized species like something happened something that nobody can account for took us from being primitive like we were basically knuckle draggers aliens we were could have been could have been that's one theory could have been mushrooms could have been yeah something took us from changed the dna yeah something took us from knuckle draggers having rape for dinner to drawing cave paintings what was that how did we make that transition from from just absolute savages to creating art Sounds like psychedelics to me. I mean, it's plausible at the very least. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was aliens. I don't know. <laughs> but that, that's, that's the theory is that some ape grabbed some mushroom <laughs> that just naturally grew in some, some dinosaur shit or whatever and ate the mushrooms and then started, you know, becoming a little more i don't know he had a different perspective on things after that yeah, he well, did. maybe he i won't he, kill my no, neighbor maybe uh, i'll t- maybe yeah, i'll try he, to communicate with him instead when when they when they find out that psilocybin can change your dna then they have a theory well it, mutation changes your dna but you know the you know, gamma rays can change your dna Okay, so you've got, well, so can inbreeding. There's a lot of things that can cause mutations. Mutations just happen naturally, randomly. And, and you know, if, if the mutation, this is dar- basic Darwinism, if the mutation is something advantageous to your survival, it then continues you, you're, you're more successful yeah. at mating. And you can build, my point is you can build a society of people who are trying to communicate with each other and loving each other and creating art a lot faster than you can if everyone's just murdering everyone for food. Well, that, or religion. One of the flip sides of that, <laughs> one of the sides of that is when you do psychedelics, psychedelics tend to, most of the time, there's only about 10% of your brain that's active at any given moment. Are you saying you've done drugs before? Is that what you're when trying to say? You do, when you <laughs> do psychedelics, 
more of your brain becomes active at any given time. You have your synapses just start randomly firing, which is part of the trip, is that your brain becomes so active, you can't comprehend everything that's happening at one time. When you have that many synapses popping off at one time, doesn't that change how your brain functions on a even maybe a molecular level? This is going to be that's going to be a different episode, Scott. Yeah. We're going to talk all about uh, brain uh, elasticity and I mean, and, that, and how psychedelics neuroplasticity neuroplasticity. That's yep. it. But. Uh, I mean, that, they do increase neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity is what children have. It's why they learn so fast. It's why their brains are like sponges because they can just adapt to whatever just yep. instantly. And as you get older, you have less neuroplasticity. And it's, it becomes the you get have the old adage of can't teach an old dog new tricks. And we're That's we're, where that comes we're from. finding out in science today that uh, there's actually a lot more benefits to psychedelics than there are negatives to it. You don't want to drive your car on it. No, but there's a lot of positives, and that's a, that's going to be another podcast. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for now, I just wanted to mainly introduce introduce the idea of the immortality key, and for uh, the next episode, the direction I want to take this is kind of like the war on drugs. I want to start kind of where we are now with the war on drugs. Let's go back into more recent history, and then we can trace it all the way back to the ancient Greeks, and then if we want to go past that to the stone date theory, we can just kind of take it apart, but that's what I want to spend the next uh, four or five episodes looking into and thinking about. But uh, just one more thing, you know, to throw in. Speaking of uh, illusion and the illusion mysteries, uh, you know, this it's something that spanned for you know nearly two thousand years. It you know it, it spanned a long period of time from Plato to Marcus Aurelius. Yeah, um, and you know, it, I think it was, uh, I think it was Plato. That uh, you know, it, that how he described it is is that uh, the illusion mysteries and illusion were the most important thing that Greece has ever accomplished and done. Well, and, yeah. and that without without illusion, the 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 thought of being Greek and being alive without illusion was not worth living. Yeah, a, a life without illusion was not, not worth, worth living. living. His no. sentiments. Yeah, a lot of what we know about it came from Plato, and and then again ran to Marcus Aurelius. Who was the Roman emperor that rebuilt Alusia? Who was a after it brilliant. Was, after was it was brilliant. destroyed, yeah. rebuilt Alusia. That was a brilliant man. I, I want to spend. I probably want to spend a whole, just about a whole uh, episode yes, on was, him. It was an extremely, extremely important and extremely influential part of Greek history and society. So much so that themselves, they thought that it was the most important thing that they did. And again, these are the people that gave us arts, more than arts, science, more than, science, you, more than astronomy, more than philosophy, more than government, more than anything. Matt, yeah. do you it's think illusion? Do you think that uh, the mystery schools that were in ancient Egypt and going through the Middle East were part of those teachings? They might have been. I mean, there's. I mean, because part, they, part, it what, part of what similar. Brian Morissette, you know, and, and I haven't read the book, um, but I, you know, in another, another place to get a lot of background, a lot of history, and a lot of different contexts from different pieces and styles and sides. Um, he he did a lot of podcasts. Um, Lex Friedman has him. Joe Rogan has him. Um, Jordan B. Peterson has him. 
um, probably 10 or 15 more people have him on podcasts and he gets questions and, you know, from all different facets of people and people in different lanes and facets of thoughts. And he's absolutely, Brian Morseca is absolutely intriguing to listen to. He is. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there's real good evidence that for at least 500 yeah. years, the Greeks and the, and the Egyptians were in very yeah. close contact but with they, each other, uh, with groups moving back yeah. and forth and exchanging ideas found, uh, and histories yeah. You know, I mean, you look at Pla- the, the story of Atlantis, by Plato's account, came from ancient Egypt. Well, a lot of what I talk he about... Didn't, he the, didn't make the story up. He the, got it third hand from yeah. somebody from Egypt. But. Well, a lot of the crazy shit I talk about is actually, like, from the Essenes. Yeah. But, you know, uh, which were ancient mystery schools, you know, they, they were hidden yeah. because they would have been killed. Yeah, but a lot of, a lot of what he, that Brian Morseca said he found, and he wouldn't be, I mean, he got, he, he gained, he was on a 12-year journey in, yeah. this, in this writing and this research, and he was an, he was an attorney beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, he was on a long, long trip. I mean, he, he had access to the Vatican catacombs and the Vatican libraries. He had oh, yeah. uh, We're the, gonna get the, into Ro- that. the Roman catacombs. Uh, I mean, he traveled all through Italy, all through Israel, all across the world, yeah. you know, trying to, you know, but, but, you know, one of his theories that he started to run with early and that he followed, you know, one of the first ones before wine was uh, beer. And he was, you know, yep. following the long history of beer and the mixing of beer with, with these as well. And, he, you know, they found uh, artifacts and relics from, uh, Spain, yeah. um, Portugal, uh, Germany, uh, Northern Africa, uh, yeah, I'll, Middle East. I mean, that are all chaliced. That you know, that are chaliced, pictured vases, vases, cups, chalices with distinctly Greek decoration. You know, the yeah. Greek columns and mm-hmm. Greek murals and Greek pictures on them in these completely other foreign places, parts of the world that are not Greek and weren't Greek at the time when they should have been there. The Catholics, it's, it's, it's very wide spanning and scoping. So it's I mean, whether it was all the same or whether everybody just found their own thing, depending on where they yeah. are. Or the, the advanced cultures and the higher thinking cultures that were around at the day were there for a reason because they found something no matter what it was. And I think that word you just said, higher thinking, is yeah. the key to all of this. Yeah. And that's what they're trying to stifle through uh, the war on drugs. Higher thinking. Well, there's definitely more than just, yeah, you, there's, it, more. there's more than parallel thinking going on here because you're right. A lot of the best evidence he found was in Spain, Yeah, but they didn't just find the same type of, um, of like spiked wines and, and graveyard beers and things. They found, like you said, uh, Greek columns and yeah. also uh, statues yeah. that were built in, in the image of Greek gods Greek in gods Spain. In Spain, far, far stretching from the influence where they were. Yeah. So the Catholics, they, they got rid of what they could in, in ancient Greece, but these quote unquote witches, they, they were displaced. They had to run because so if they, they didn't run, they were going to, they were going to get killed by the Catholics. And a lot of them ended up in Spain, in Spain and other areas. And then all of a sudden you have these cult, these pagan cults popping up, these Greek statues, these same types of um, mixing things and, and spiked wines using the same types of ingredients. You see the culture just shifted from one area of the world to the other. Mm-hmm. And like you were saying, it's found all over the world. Well, I mean, you know, if they have, you know, is before you came into a, a mono, a, you know, a, a, a one God religions and Christianity became the popularity. I mean, the, before that point, we called them, you know, mystics. Mystics, you know, right? Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. there were you know German mystics, there were European mystics, there were Egyptian mystics, there were you know, but they were mystics that believed in 
a deity and an an entity. Yeah. And it wasn't just, they believed in it. If you'd like to meet my God, you You can. can. Yeah. I'll I'll take you there. You can see him face to face and I'll show him to, and you can have a talk with him. Yeah. But yeah, they were seeing this believing come see, but they were mystical cults. Right. Yeah. But yeah, but yeah. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for this episode. Like I said, we're going to spend a lot of time here. So if you enjoy this conversation, you can look forward to a lot more. We're going to get into a lot more detail, but that's going to do it for us here today. This has been the 237 podcast. Keep it weird, people. Goodbye. See you guys. Take care. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought? Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul.